you need to accept the fact that the Spirit sovereignly chooses to distribute the gifts as He wills. So don't be looking at your gift and wishing you had another. Be content with what the Spirit has decided. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Can a true disciple of Jesus Christ possess more than one spiritual gift? How do you know which ones you have if so? Are some spiritual gifts of greater value to the church than others? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his current series with part six of Gifted to Serve. We're looking at Romans chapter 12 regarding spiritual gifts and their function. So far, you've discovered that there are some spiritual gifts that ended after the early church era and some gifts that remain to this very day. Today, Tom will look at each of the permanent lasting spiritual gifts, those given to believers for service in the edification of all in the church by way of deep and personal interaction, but also in the form and function of the local assembly. Christian, how do you determine which gift you might have? Open your Bible right now as we join Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. In Acts 15.32, again, you see that there were prophets in the church in Antioch. They were more local in their ministry. Again, think about it this way. Before the New Testament was complete, if you, if you were attending the church in Antioch, how did you know what God was, wanted you to do and how he wanted you to think in the New Testament era? Well, God provided apostles and he provided prophets to bring that fresh revelation. And they too Many of them became part of the foundational teaching of the New Testament church. Ephesians 2.20 were built on the foundation of the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Thirdly, there is distinguishing or discerning, as it's called, of spirits. This was an ability to pass immediate judgment on the validity of prophecy given in the assembly. This is implied, by the way, by the fact that this gift immediately follows the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12.10. In other words, think about this. This was a check and balance on those who said they had the gift of prophecy. There were those there who had the gift of the distinguishing of spirits, who could say, that's not God, or yes, that is from the Lord. And so they were in conjunction with the prophets in order so that the church could be protected A fourth miraculous gift is the word of wisdom. This is an ability to receive and pass on to others revelation, a revelation of the mysteries of God. You say, well, how does a word of wisdom differ from prophecy? I think Thomas is right when he argues that that prophecy emphasized more receiving revelation from God and publicly proclaiming it to God's people Whereas the word of wisdom was something where it emphasized the receiving of that revelation. And maybe you weren't the one who shared it with the congregation. Maybe you shared it with one of the teachers. Maybe you shared it with with someone else who would publicly communicate it. Number five, there is the word of knowledge. This is an ability to grasp the content of the special revelation connected with the word of wisdom and probably prophecy as well. 
to systematize it and extend its implications to new situations. In other words, to be able to explain it and to apply this new revelation that was coming from the, from the word of wisdom and from the prophets. Let's move on then to the second set of miraculous gifts, and that is those that were for confirmation. You have miracles. What are, what's the gift of miracles? It is the ability to perform supernatural acts, such as raising the dead in Acts 9.40, and blinding Elemas in Acts 13, 8 to 11. That, those were miraculous acts. The seventh is similar. It also is miraculous, but it's very specific. It's healings. Healings is the supernatural ability to physically cure illnesses and congenital issues, not indiscriminately, but when the person who had the gift was conscious that it was God's will. In other words, if you had the gift of healing, you didn't walk around with the power to heal everybody that was immediately in front of you. Instead, just as Jesus was led by the Spirit as to when to exercise his miraculous abilities, even so, the person with the gift of healing was was directed and came to understand that this was a time and place to exercise that gift. Number eight is the gift of faith. Now, some would say the gift of faith is not part of the miraculous sign gifts, but it's, it's one of the ordinary gifts. And that's possible. I would disagree, however, because in this case, the gift of faith is in the middle, in 1 Corinthians 12, of a list of miraculous gifts. So I think the gift of faith here is a miraculous gift. What is it? It is an ability to believe God to the point that God would miraculously remove hindrances to the spread of the gospel. Now, I think this gift was likely operative with other gifts. So the gift of faith probably went along with the gift of miracles. You had the faith to believe that God would now perform this miracle that was his intention. So it was kind of a combination gift. The same thing with healings, I think. You had the faith to believe that God was now going to use you in the gift he'd given you to heal this person. Number nine is tongues. And now we're getting onto some, uh, some difficult and challenging ones. Tongues. An ability to speak a foreign language not learned by normal human methods. Notice, it is a normal human language that you have not learned and you have the ability to speak it. That is clearly the pattern of the New Testament. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Here is the first occurrence of the gift, gift of tongues. And on the day of Pentecost, it's very clear what happened. Notice verse 4. Those who had assembled there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, verse 4 says, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that is, with other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Verse 5, now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together. Now, watch this in verse 6. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, note verse 8. How is it that we each hear them in our own language, don't miss this, to which we were born? We're talking ordinary human language and yet they were able to speak. And you go on in verse 9 and 10, 
And there's a list of where these people were from and the different language groups they represented. Verse 11, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. That is what the gift of tongues was in the New Testament era. In fact, you come to the second occurrence in Acts chapters 10, and it's explained in chapter 11. And what does Peter say? He says, what happened to Cornelius and his household when they spoke in tongues was exactly the same thing that happened to us at the first. And so it's, it was the same thing. This is what tongues was. Along with the gift of tongues, number 10, came the interpretation of tongues. This was an ability to translate into your own language from a foreign language not learned by normal human methods. When I was in Italy and uh, speaking at the conference, for hours I was speaking and standing right next to me was an Italian, Johnny Gravino, who heads the Italian Theological Institute there, training center. And And he stood next to me, and I would say a few lines, and then he would translate it into Italian. And sometimes it was like, did you just add to what I said? Because it took you a lot longer to say what I said than it took me. But he was being careful to explain it and make sure they understood it. But he was translating me. He was speaking in his own language what he heard from me. The difference was he studied English. The gift of the interpretation of tongues was the ability to translate a language that you had never studied. So the gift of tongues, along with the gift of interpretation, was at times these two gifts were a kind of partner to the gift of prophecy in that they could include fresh revelation from God. Now that brings us to the second set of gifts, and that is the permanent edifying gifts. Let me just say that today I'm going to give you a little overview. Before we leave this passage in Romans 12, we're going to examine it more carefully. But let me just give you a a big, big uh, overview of what these gifts are. First of all, under the category of teaching gifts. In the permanent edifying gifts, you have teaching gifts. Starting, of course, number 11 is teaching. What is that? It is an ability to grasp, arrange, and present revealed truth effectively and in an organized manner so that those who hear gain an enhanced understanding of Scripture. And that can happen either publicly, as it did in Acts 18.11, with Paul's public teaching ministry in Corinth for, for 18 months, or it can happen privately, as it did in Acts 18.26, when Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos privately. So teaching can happen in both those kinds of venues. But this is teaching, an ability to grasp the truth, to arrange the truth, and present it effectively so that others grow in their understanding. Hopefully, that's what's happening this morning. If it's not, don't tell me. It'll discourage me. But that's my goal, teaching. This is what we do. This is what we're called to do. Number 12 is exhortation. Exhortation is an ability to explain and apply the truth to believers and persuade them to believe and obey it. Now, the key word here is not explain, although there has to be some explanation involved. The key word is to persuade, to persuade them to believe and obey it. Let me show you what this looks like. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. Here Paul describes his ministry among the Thessalonians, and he says, As you know, 
you know how we were exhorting, there's our word, we were exhorting you and encouraging and imploring, notice this, each one of you as a father would his own children. There is a great definition of exhortation, the gift of exhortation. It is, there is some explanation involved, but it is primarily exhorting, encouraging, imploring like a father, like a parent does his children, his or her children. This is exhortation. It's persuading them to do what's right and to believe and obey. This happens privately. Notice Paul says, each one of you, but it also happens in the public teaching. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. If God has given you the gift of teaching, then he has also probably given you at least a portion of exhortation because in 2 Timothy 4, 2, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, here it is, exhort with great patience and instruction. Let your teaching be accompanied by exhortation, by persuading people to believe and to obey. So it happens privately, and it also happens as part of the public ministry of the Word. By the way, the gift of exhortation often goes along with those who are involved in music in our church. Think about this. If, you, if you're involved in, in leading us in worship and music, then you are exhorting us is really what you're doing. You're using the message of the music to persuade us to believe those truths and to apply them, to obey them. Uh, this morning, I was, I was deeply moved as we sang together. In fact, in the first service, it was a two-handkerchief morning, and I only had one. You know, because as I heard the choir and I heard the orchestra and I watched you sing, it, it exhorted me. It persuaded me to believe and embrace those truths and make them my own. Number 13 is evangelism. Evangelism is an ability to persuade lost people to put their trust in Christ, either publicly or personally. By the way, this, this doesn't mean that if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you're not supposed to evangelize. Don't be looking at this going, oh, good. I obviously don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm off the hook. I'll leave it to those who do. No, we're all called to evangelize, but there are some whom God uniquely gifts in this way. They have a unique capacity. I've seen, I'm not one of them. I work at being an evangelist, but I don't have this gift, and I've been with those who do. We have some in our church who just, this is what they do, and they do it so beautifully and naturally. It can happen publicly, can happen privately. By the way, just to know that there are those who, are, who have this gift, Philip, Philip the deacon from Acts 7, in Acts 21.8, he's called Philip the evangelist. And then in Acts 8, back in Acts 8, verse 25, you find him evangelizing publicly, preaching the gospel publicly. And then in Acts 8.35, you find him evangelizing privately with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so this is a, this is a wonderful gift for the church. Number 14, the gift of pastor-teacher. This is an ability to teach and to shepherd God's people, primarily exercised as an elder in a local church. This is a gift to the church of uh, an office, but a man, a pastor teacher, an elder. Teaching and shepherding are the primary duties of an elder. That brings us then to the serving gifts. 
Number 15, service, or as it's also called, helps. What is that? It's an ability to know how best to meet people's temporal needs and an unusual skill in meeting those needs. You know, as I show up in in places around uh, our church family, as I go to visit a home of someone who's in hospice or I go to the hospital, I am always amazed at how creative people who have this gift are. They think of ways to serve the people in those situations in ways that I find myself going, that was brilliant, Why, why didn't I think of that? It's because they have that unique gift, that unique ability to serve and to meet those needs. This gift is evident, by the way, in the seven men in Acts 6 who serve the widows. It's evident in Dorcas in Acts 9.39 and some others that we'll look at when we come back to this passage in more detail. Number 16 is giving. Giving is an ability to effectively invest one's material resources for spiritual and kingdom purposes. Again, we are all responsible to give. If you're a Christian, Paul says, each one of you, 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week is to set aside for the advance of the kingdom, for the benefit of the local church and the advance of the kingdom. You have a responsibility, Christian. If you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to give to advance the Lord's work. And not to do so is disobedience. We're not told in the New Testament how much to give. We're only given these two caveats. One, as God prospers you and as you choose, as you decide. That's how you determine what to give in the New Testament era. But giving is not an option. It's commanded. But there are people who have a unique ability to give, to effectively invest their material resources for kingdom purposes. This, by the way, is a special expression of the gift of helps. Sometimes those who have the gift of giving have significant resources, and they are amazing at investing them. We have some people in our church like that who really make the ministry of this church and more than this church be around the world with our missionaries possible. But sometimes those who have limited resources have this gift, and they find a remarkable way to make every, every dime count for the advancement of God's kingdom. Number 17 is leading and administration. This is, there are two different names for this in the New Testament, leading or administration. This is an ability in leadership and administration. Again, this is a special spiritual ability given by the Spirit. This same word, by the way, is described as a qualification for the office of elder in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. So all elders have to have this gift, but not all who have this gift are elders. And then number 18, showing mercy. Showing mercy is simply the ability to help, assist, and relieve those experiencing distress, misery, or pain. Again, I am amazed at how gifted people in this category are. I I know people like this, and they're always around people who are hurting, and they always know what to do in remarkable ways to help them. Dorcas is described in Acts 9 as abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. This gift, too, is a specific expression of the gift of helps. So there they are. They are the basic New Testament definitions of the gifts. Now, just for the last couple of minutes we have together, I just want you to consider with me the practical steps for identifying your giftedness. A lot of Christians wonder this. How in the world 
do I discover what my spiritual giftedness is? First of all, let me just tell you, understand this, God is not trying to hide your spiritual gift from you. Okay, you, You're not working against him to discover it. Instead, there are some very practical steps that you can take that will help you discern where your unique spiritual capacity actually lies. Let me give them to you just briefly. Number one, study what the Scripture says about the gifts. You need to understand. You need to be convinced that every Christian has at least one gift and may have a combination of several. You need to understand the gifts that are still available today, what they are, what their purpose is, what their function is. You need to accept the fact that the Spirit sovereignly chooses to distribute the gifts as He wills. So don't be looking at your gift and wishing you had another. He also sovereignly decides the amount of a specific gift you give, the level of gifting. So be content with what the Spirit has decided. But if you're going to discern your gift, it starts by understanding them. That's why I'm taking time to do this. Go back and go back through what we've talked about together and studied together. Understand it. Number two, pray for God's direction. Acknowledge to the Lord that you, you don't know and you need to know. Help, help you. God, give me wisdom to discern the giftedness you've given me. Number three, assess your desires, natural abilities, experience, and circumstances. Why? Because although it's not always true, often the Spirit matches our spiritual gifts to our natural abilities. In other words, it, again, there are exceptions, but often people who have good communication skills and interpersonal communications may be gifted to teach. God may have given them separately that spiritual gift. Again, not always, but there's often a correlation, so it, it makes sense to to take a look. Number four, seek the wisdom and confirmation of others. In the end, it is not your role to definitively decide what your gift is. Instead, the church and its leadership are responsible to evaluate a person's giftedness. In 1 Timothy 3, the entire church is called, along with the elders, to affirm not only a man's character, but also his giftedness. So if you think that you're gifted in a particular way, usually a person thinks they have the gift of teaching. If, you're, if you think you're gifted to teach, you need to follow the lead of the church and the leadership. If they don't affirm that gift, then it's unlikely that you have it. So focus your service in other ways, in other areas, until you find the ministry the church does affirm. And then number five, just begin to faithfully serve. Folks, the first and most practical way to discern where your spiritual giftedness lies is just get involved in the life of the church. Why? Because we tend to gravitate to the areas of our gifts, just like with our physical bodies. As you've heard me say many times, your liver, where we started this morning, your liver didn't have to complete a personality profile to discern its giftedness. God placed it in the body, and it just ends up doing what God made it to do. And the same is true for the church. If you will just get involved, then you will end up over time filling the role God designed you to do. Why? Because it's a whole lot easier for the Spirit to steer a moving vehicle than one that's parked. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of Gifted to Serve. Join us next time for part seven as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, indeed, it is vital that every believer use his or her spiritual gift in the context of their church, isn't it? You know, Bill, that's a great question. And and let me just say that we're going to get into that more in the next program, so I hope you'll join us then, friend. But but let me just say this. The primary context in which our spiritual giftedness is to be used is the local church to which we belong. That is the New Testament concept. You find people connecting to a local church, belonging to that church, and serving their brothers and sisters in that local assembly. Of course, you you and I need to use whatever gifts God's given us for the benefit of everyone we come in contact with, particularly if we have the gifts of mercy and can care for people. But what about the gifts of teaching? Those are primarily focused on teaching God's people in the context of his church. And so I would just encourage you to think about how you can serve your brothers and sisters in your church. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social, at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.